old songs. They have a lot of doctrine in uh, the old songs. Praise the Lord for doctrine. Doctrine is nothing more than teaching, the teaching of God's Word. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis, the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter number 35. And we want to read verses 1 down through verse number 7. Genesis chapter 35, beginning with verse 1 down through verse number 7. It says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all the earrings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and they, the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is, Bethel, he and all his people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we thank you for this portion of scripture, and Lord, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful teachings that you share with us, and Lord, the lives of individuals recorded for us in your word. Lord, we can learn from their lives. We can learn how to walk and what to do, and Lord, you've said that they are for our admonition, and that we might uh, learn what is right and what is holy, and Lord, I pray tonight that as we look in, into your word that we would find encouragement and help in our Christian life. I pray that we would become uh, courageous and bold, and Lord, that we would uh, walk with you, and Lord, see you do great and mighty things because you're a great and mighty God. Lord, I pray tonight for thy spirit to give me thy words. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do. Lord, we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Christian life is an exciting life. Uh, undoubtedly, it's a challenging life. That uh, You know, the beginning of our Christian life is when we get saved. And uh, how many remember when you got saved? Uh, was that... Uh, how many were saved at home? Anybody saved at home? How many were saved at church? How many were saved, how many, what am I raising my hand for? I wasn't saved at church. Uh, how many were saved at camp, at a Christian camp? How many were saved uh, on the bus ministry or because of the bus ministry? How, how many were saved uh, at, at school or the workplace? Anybody saved that way? Okay. I was saved in a hospital when I was seven years old and asked Jesus Christ to be my savior. There had been a lot of stuff that had gone uh, on the, a junior church, uh, the lady had shared the gospel every week for like two years that I'd been going there, and uh, there in the hospital I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And, you know, uh, praise the Lord, it, her, her work, her labor was not in vain. Uh, and you say, well, from five to seven, can you know anything from five to seven? Uh, yeah, you can. You can learn a lot of things. And uh, you can know that, that God loves us and God, uh, God hates our sin, and we are all sinners and we need a Savior. And how wonderful that is. But you know, when we have the beginning of our Christian life, that uh, being saved, know our sins are forgiven, that we uh, have not only made peace with God through Jesus Christ, but we can also have the peace of God. Uh, that's wonderful. And to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. You know, when we start to grow, then God begins to reveal to us certain things in our life that must change. I remember working with a, a couple. We had, I'd been de dealing discipleship with a uh, husband and wife team, and they, were, they had gotten saved, and, and uh, they said, I ju we just want to be disciples. So we went through and started going through the, the Word of God, and they said, you know, it's, it's amazing that God is, is starting to work in our, in our heart in some things. I said, really? So tell me, what, it, what is God doing in your heart? And they said, well, you know, that music that we used to be listening to, they used to listen to rock music. And they, they said... I can't put my finger on it, but we just realized, we're just sensing that that is not pleasing to God. 
I said, you know, the Spirit of God, he begins to work in our life, and he starts to take away those things that are not pleasing to him and, start, and starts uh, putting those things in a different, different place. They said, well, is that normal? I said, yes. That's exactly what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God prompts us into, to, to go a certain direction or to, to live a certain way. Uh, as we begin to go, as we yield to God and His Spirit begins to lead us and guide us in this new walk because we don't know which way to go. We don't know what to do. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. We'll have a little ringing up here, brother. So the, the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. And the more that we read God's Word and we commune with Him through prayer, um, we realize how far we are from what God wants us to be. Anybody found that to be true? You know, I, I tell you what, I've been saved now since I was, like I said, since seven. I'm now 65. That's a few years. And the more I study God's word, the more I realize how holy he is and how far from that I am. And it's only because of his grace and his mercy that uh, I am what I am, what God has done in my heart. It's all because of him. And as we begin to look in the Word of God, as we, as we set aside the things of our life that are not pleasing to Him, we, we want to please Him, so we, we, we want to serve Him uh, better, and we start setting aside those things because the Spirit of God moves us in those things. From time to time, though, as we begin to study the Word of God, we will come up against a truth that we have not been walking in a certain way, in a certain path. We've been walking this way, and God says, no, that's the wrong direction. I want you to turn, and I want you to go in this direction. And we come at that point where it brings us to a point of, we're faced with a decision, whether we will follow the Lord and do what the Lord says to do, or we will, uh, we will resist his prompting. Now, you know, if we resist God's prompting, it doesn't mean that God's through with us. The Bible is full of people who God said, this is the direction I want you to go. And they said, no, we're not going this direction. We're going this direction. I'm thinking of Jonah. You know, Jonah, God says, I want you to go. There's something I want you to do. I want you to go over here, and I want you to be a witness. And Jonah says, no, I'm going the opposite direction. Oh, was God done with Jonah? Uh, praise the Lord, he wasn't done with Jonah. And it gives us some illustrations about Jesus Christ as Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Uh, so, uh, or excuse me, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so Jesus was going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Uh, but Jonah, God just had to turn Jonah around. Uh, uh, you think of other people in the scriptures where uh, they had, God says, this is the direction I want you to go. And they said, uh, no, I'm going to go this way. Uh, anybody else comes to your mind? Jacob, yes, oh boy, Jacob is one, I'm not talking about you, brother, uh, J J absolutely, Jacob, you know, Jacob was, he was just one that was going his own way, and he was, you know, uh, he, he was living his life, the word supplanter, boy, it really uh, was key on Jacob, that's what he was, it was, it was all about me, it's all about my life, and that's how he lived for the first part of his life, and God had to turn him around, and uh, anybody else come to your mind? I go a fishing, yeah, old Peter. You know, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and the and the Lord has just encouraged him. You know, he just we're, we're going to see do some great things, and you're going to have some. And here's uh, Peter says, "Well, I go a fishing." You know, that is one of those verses. As I look at that, God's got a sense. Jesus has a sense of humor. We Jesus doesn't sit up there and is all stoic and and has no emotions. Hey, the Lord has emotions. Love is an emotion. Uh, hate is an emotion. God hates sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. Uh, the Holy Spirit is grieved. God's heart can be grieved. But I think the Lord has, I think the Lord has a sense of humor because here they go. They fish all night. And for some of us that have fished all day and haven't, you know, haven't caught anything, you know, uh, it's always exciting to get a fish, even if that fish is this big because by the time the stories are done, it's this big. It could be. Yeah, exactly. Because, boy, we caught a fish. I remember when Brother Andy, we were talking about fishing and, and stuff like that. And Brother Andy says, hey, you want to go ice fishing? And we went ice fishing. Never gone ice fishing before. And we went out on that, what was that, Ronan? That's where we went, isn't it? What Brother Andy says, I've got one of those. Mary Ronan went out there. And, and, you know, you're out there and you carry the, you carry the, 
the uh, little place that you go fishing in and you take that out there, it's an eerie sound to be out on that lake away from the shore and hear this pop, crack, pop. I'm thinking, and how thick is this ice? I mean, you're hearing, the, hearing that over and over. And Randy said, man, there's great fishing out here. And, and I've been out there in the summertime when we've been out fishing, and great fishing. And so we're going out there, and, and Brother Randy had one of, these, uh, one of these auger things. We had one of these auger things. Boy, we kept working on that auger thing. It took us forever to cut through that ice. And here comes one of these guys with those little, one of those little handheld uh, um, cordless. He's going, vroom, 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 vroom. He's got his whole little cut. And we're still... <sighs> You know, we're trying to push this thing through. You know, we finally got the hole done and uh, sat there. We had our stuff. We had our hot chocolate. We're all ready to go fishing. And I'm sitting with this little pole in the hole. I'm just waiting for this fish to bite. What did we catch? Two fish? That's something like that. Yeah, they were this big. <laughs> this big. <laughs> you know, uh, it's exciting. It was exciting. Fishing. Peter, you know, Peter, did you catch anything? No, didn't catch anything. Cast your net on the other side. Who's going to tell me how to fish? You know, that's not the attitude he had, which was interesting. So he cast his net on the other side. And here comes all these fish into this net. The fish found the net. The fish found the net. You say, well, pastor, how could God, how could Noah get all the animals into the ark? I just think he said, be there. And those animals obeyed. How could he do that? I don't know. That's his department. But he, he brought those animals to Noah. He wasn't going out. Could you imagine? He wouldn't have had time enough to find all the, here, kitty, 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 you know, his saber-toothed cats or one of those. He wouldn't have had time to do all of that. But God could direct him. He knew exactly what he wanted in the ark. He directed them right there to that and uh, brought them to that. But here, and when John said, after hearing, cast the net to the other side and the fish were in there, it reminded him back when they first started. And the Lord, he said, that's the Lord. Peter said, enough of this stuff. I'm done. And he jumps into the water and he goes. What a, here, it's so wonderful to know that God doesn't just throw us under the heap and say, you know what? I'm done with you. You don't listen the first time. That's not, no. God is wonderful in the fact that he works with us and he molds us and he shapes us. And uh, he does all these things. But the reason why we don't want to do what God wants us to do, it's an issue of our pride. And God sometimes has to break that pride. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall, uh, shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 21, 30 says, there is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. Well, I've got a better idea. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the, the Bible says one thing, and you've got a better idea. Can I tell you something? You're not going to win. It's not a better idea. Well, I've got a better way of training children. I'm going to follow Dr. Spock. I'm going to follow all these new... Can I tell you something? With Dr. Spock and all of his, all of his uh, uh, weird and wonderful teaching that he had, he didn't have a better way. And come to the point where he says, you know what? I was wrong. Folks... God's never wrong. He's never wrong on anything. He's always right. You know, if we continue to resist the Lord, uh, the Lord will be, uh, our heart will become hardened. I think of, uh, you know, when God tried to speak to Nebuchadnezzar that he would, he would humble himself. God had blessed him. God had raised him up. He had, he was the, the had the, uh, the uh, kingdom. He was in charge of the kingdoms of the world, if you would, at that particular time. And God had raised him. God had lifted him up. And God said, you know what? You need to humble your heart. And Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter number 4, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's heart became hardened through pride. Daniel 5.20 says this, but when his heart was lifted up, talking of Nebuchadnezzar, and his mind hardened in pride, he was, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. It was this issue of pride. He was raised up. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. A big, mean lion met a monkey in the jungle. And the lion pounced on the little monkey. And he's looking down on him. And he says, who's the king of the jungle? 
the poor little monkey says, you're the king of the jungle. So the lion gets off. Just kind of, hey, look at me, I'm the king of the jungle. The lion goes down a little bit further and he finds a zebra. He pounces on the zebra and he tells him the same thing. Who's the king of the jungle? And that zebra looks back at the lion and says, lion, you're the king of the jungle. The lion gets off and he says, I'm pretty good, aren't I? I'm the king of the jungle. He comes up to an elephant. And he says to the elephant, who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant takes that lion. He spins him around a few times and throws him 50 feet. <laughs> lion gets up and he shakes himself off. And, and, he, and he, he's, he's kind of upset. And he kind of walks off in a huff. And he says, he, he says uh, uh, just because you don't know the answer, it's no reason to get so rough. Can I tell you who's the king of the jungle? That, that lion, that, that elephant's got a little bit more power, a little bit more weight. You know, if we don't yield to God, he will give grace, power. You know, excuse me, if we yield ourselves to God, he will give us the grace and power to live the way he wants us to do. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, For God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. When you and I, when we humble ourselves before God, he will give you the grace the loving kindness to live the way he wants you to live. During those times of decision, when we were at that crossroads, well, will I, will I yield to God? Will I not yield to God? Many times, those are difficult times for us. And we'll do things like this. We'll promise God, God, if you will get me out of this situation, then I will live for you. I will serve you. I will do whatever you want to do. Sometimes we follow through. Sometimes we don't. How many have had New Year's resolutions? You know, oh, this New Year we're going to do this. I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run five miles a day. I'm going to, I'm going to stop eating chocolate. I'm going to stop, whatever. And that lasts for about a week or two. And then we go back to the old way of life. You know, God often, often allows us, uh, excuse me, the vows to God are, are different are more important than just turning over a new leaf. God often doesn't allow us to move ahead spiritually until we fulfill the vow of the past. In fact, God may even destroy the very works of our hands. Turn with me, if you would, to Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2. Keep your finger here because we're coming right back here. Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2. Numbers is just over just a, a few chapters to the right from where you are. Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2. And consider what we find here in Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30 and verse number 2. It says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. I think what God is saying here is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. If you promise God something, you need to do what, what you promise. Go over to the book of Deuteronomy just to the right. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 21. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. If I promise God that I'm going to do something, and I don't do it, then God calls it sin. Look with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5. Still to the right, Ecclesiastes, chapter number 5. Book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 4. Look what it says. When thou vowest a vow, or in other words, promise, if I vow to God, I promised unto God, and if, uh, he says, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. In other words, don't, don't put off paying it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest uh, not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Remember, he had already said in Deuteronomy, if I promise God something and I don't do it, then God calls it sin. 
Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was in an error. Well, God, I really didn't mean that. Uh-uh. It's not what, that's not how God looks at things. Wherefore, shouldest God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? See, when we promise God something, God expects us to be men and women, young people of our word. God expects us to follow through. Now, I know that in the day in which we live, uh, people, when you're dealing with contracts, you have to have four or five uh, copies of the same thing because this might be not binding and this person's not going to do it and, and so forth. Just because you've got all these, these uh, contracts, uh, it's only good as the people that are promising to be on the other end. And God says, with regard to you and me, when you promise me something, you better be sure to fulfill what you've promised. He says, because if, you, if not, I can destroy the works and will destroy the works of thy hands. We don't want that to happen. So in our text tonight, as we look at this, God tells Jacob to go back to the place where he made his first vow, his promise unto the Lord. To go back to that place, go back to a place called Bethel. It was a place of remembrance. It was a place of repentance, but it was also a place of renewal. Let's look back there, back in Genesis, where we were a moment ago. Go back to Genesis, chapter number 35. And I want you to notice it was a place of remembrance. Bethel was a, a place of remembrance. In this portion, to give you a little bit of a background, Jack, Jacob had, had lived in the land of Shechem. And uh, he had left Esau, his bro or excuse me, he had left Laban. He was coming back into uh, the promised land. And uh, as he's coming back into the promised land, he'd been down there and with Laban for 20 years. And now it was time, God had told him to come back into the land of Canaan. He's on his way back. And uh, he had come first to this place called Shechem. And there in Shechem, uh, uh, Diana was raped by, some, by a, a man. And uh, there in Shechem, and uh, the brothers, uh, Simeon and uh, Levi, got mad. And they said, you know what? This is not right. We're going to do something about it. So they, con they contrived a, a plan, and uh, they wiped out all the, the men of Shechem. And uh, they took all their goods, took all their spoil. Now in chapter 35, we find the Lord giving new instructions to Jacob. Uh, in verse number 1, look what it says here in chapter 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, and go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. The word Bethel, it means house of God. It's the house of God. We find that word mentioned a little bit further down there when he made a uh, he made a altar in verse number seven, El Bethel, how uh, God, uh, El Bethel, the word El is God, God, the house of God. That was the name of that place. So God was calling Jacob back to the place where he had the vision of the angels ascending when he left, uh, because remember he had stolen the birthright uh, from Esau, his brother. He had, he had the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, or excuse me, the blessing from Esau, his brother, and he had stole the, he had, uh, sold, he had uh, connived the, the birthright to get that from his brother. And so here, uh, as he's on the run at the very beginning, he runs down to this place, and, and that night he's sleeping, and he sees a vision where, the, where there's a, a ladder going up into heaven, and angels are ascending and descending and so forth. And uh, so we, we find that time going back in Genesis chapter 28. In fact, that's where we need to go to next. Go there. Genesis chapter 28, because he's referring back to this time period. In Genesis chapter 28, and uh, let's just read that very quickly. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went, uh, went toward Haran. That's where Laban was going to be, and that's where he was going to, and he's, he's going to spend 20 years down there. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set, and he took of the stones that, uh, of that place and put them for his pillow and lay down, in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, thy Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land where, uh, whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it. 
and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Interesting. God was calling Jacob back to this place uh, where he had been in the presence of the Lord. You know, the Lord was in this place, and I what? Knew it not. Oh, dear friend, it's wonderful to be in the place where the Lord is. How interesting, Jacob had been in the presence of the Lord and he didn't even realize it. You know, Jesus made an interesting statement in Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. May I share with you that the Lord is in the, our midst tonight? He said, well, I, the Lord's here? I didn't know it. Can I tell you something? That's a promise from God. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, and that's what we are doing. We are gathering together in his name. He is in the midst. He's right here tonight. He's right here. Praise the Lord for his promises. I'm glad we understand things. I'm glad that we can pray and that he is in our midst. God was calling Jacob back to the place where he had made his first commitments. He says, I, I know the Lord was here. See, look what happens. He's getting ready to make some commitments. Commitments to God. Verse number uh, 17. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other than, than uh, but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, house of God. But the, the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow. Here's his promise. Notice. He vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Jacob says this. You know, if God goes with me and provides for me, and I am able to come back to my father's house in peace, then God will be my God. You know what? God kept his part of the bargain for, for 20 years. God took care of him when he was down with Uncle Laban. He was trying to rip him off and, and cheat him. God overturned that. God took care of him. God provided for him. Hey, Jacob, uh, do you remember your part? Do you remember what you told me? Then shall the Lord be my God. Uh, no, no, no more talking about the fact that uh, the God of so-and-so. You know, a lot of times people will talk, well, you know, uh, would you please pray to your God? No, it was going to shift. And this is what he's saying. He's, he, he's reminding Jacob of this point. Remember, Jacob, the Lord shall be my God. I think of Simon. The sorcerer, when he, was, he saw the miracles that Peter and John had done, <clears throat> and he wanted to offer them money for the, the mirror, that, that power. And Peter says, you have no lot nor part in this. And Simon, you know, he says, you know, uh, Peter says, I know that you're in the bond of iniquity. In other words, you're not saved, man. You need to get your heart right with God. And Simon says this, would you please pray to your God? It wasn't his God. It was your God. Folks, I submit to you what God was bringing back Jacob back to is to remember, hey, Jacob, remember when you, when you told me that when I, if I am with you and I bring you back and I bring you back safe and I provide for you, that I will be your God. A personal relationship. You know, you can't live on borrowed convictions. They must be your own. There are a lot of people who live on borrowed convictions. Well, mom and dad, they believed in God, and they believed in the word of God. They, they, they walked with God. They went to church. They did all those things. And so um, my, my grandpa, that's how I know I'm saved. 
Uh, it's because my grandpa, he walked with God. You can't live on borrowed convictions. Christians live on borrowed convictions. Well, my mom and my dad, they, they did what was right. And so I, I'm just holding on to them. I'm living, I'm living uh, by, their, by their strength. Folks, that's not how we live. It has to become your own. That's why as you and I, as we go through struggles and trials, we need to draw close to our God and to our Savior. Why? So that, he, that we will realize, just as Jacob was realizing, going to be realizing here, hey, the Lord, he is my God. He is my God. Remember Elisha? When Elijah uh, was getting ready to go to heaven, and uh, remember uh, Eli Elisha stuck to him like glue? And they go across the, the Jordan River, and they, he, uh, Elisha, uh, Elijah smites with, the, with his mantle, smites the water, and the water parts, and they both walk through on dry ground, go on the other side, and uh, Elisha says, or Elijah, uh, Elijah says, Elisha, what is it that you want? He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want God to work in me twice as much as what he did you. He said, Elijah said, you know what? That's a hard thing you've asked for. He says, if you see me go up when I'm taken to heaven, he says, it'll be so. And here comes the chariot, parts the two, and the Bible says Elijah goes up on a whirlwind. And Elisha's like, wow. He watches him go up. And the mantle of Elijah falls off. And Elijah goes and he takes that mantle. And he goes back to the Jordan River and he rolls it up. And Elijah, or Elisha says, where is the God of who? Elijah. He smites the water, the water parts. Guess what? Where is the God of Elijah? We start seeing a change in, Eli in Elisha. Hey. That God, is, he's working in me just like he was working in Elijah. My God. My God. When he calls down, remember when, when that w wicked king wants to get Elisha to come down? And where is the, you know, come down, old, old man, the king wants you. Well, if I, you know, if I be a man of God, then God, then reign. Hey, it was his God now. Folks, I submit to you, when you walk through the, the uh, different trials of life and you depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes your God all the more. It's not, well, I, that, that person prayed, please come and pray. Well, I, we ought to pray for one another, but may I share with you? I don't have to go to somebody else to pray to my God. He's my God. I've com been commanded that I'm to come boldly into his throne of grace to help, ask for help in time of need. I've been commanded by my God to come to him. He's my God. In fact, as Christians, we're to call him Abba Father, which is Daddy. Hey, Pop. You say, well, that's disrespectful. It's what he told us to call him, Abba Father. That's a dear term. It's not a stoic, straight, no, no. Hey, it's Daddy. Would you please listen? I've got this problem. I've got this need. It's, my, he's my God. He's my God. And God was calling him back. Jacob, do you remember that you said that I would be your God? God would not be an abstract concept, but a reality in Jacob's life. My God. Jesus wants to be not an abstract, uh, abstract idea. Oh, there is a God out there someplace. No, no. He wants to be our God. Jesus wants to be King of kings and Lord of lords in our life. Colossians 1.18, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that he might be the master and we are his servants. He wants to be the Lord of our life. As Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, I beg you. He's talking to Christians here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that you might walk with your God the way that he wants you to walk. We may say that we accept Jesus as Lord, but it is only when we yield to his leading and control and do what he says on a daily basis that the lordship of Jesus Christ truly takes hold of our life. You know, if Jesus is only a name that we mention on Sunday and Wednesday nights while we're in church and then we exclude him from the rest of our life for the rest of the week, I submit to you that he's not Lord of our life. 
There's a song that says, Jesus be the Lord of all, Jesus be the Lord of all, Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. And he goes on to say that he, he's not Lord of everything, and he's really not Lord at all. Hey, Jacob, remember that place called Bethel? We need to go back to that place where you said that I would be your God. The second thing that he said back there in Genesis, Jacob had said that he would honor the Lord with his material goods. Look there in this portion of Scripture in 28, in verse number 22. It says, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto thee. You know, I will give a tenth. I will, a tenth is a tithe. Of everything, God, that you give me, a tenth of it is going to belong to you, belongs to you. You know, when we realize and put Lord Jesus in his rightful place in our hearts as our Savior and Lord, then we will be willing to give him his rightful control over our lives and the things that we have. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We have... An interesting account here is the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse number 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, he's talking to the Corinthian believers. He says, We do to you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, the, the believers in Macedonia, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift. And that's his, the, we're talking about gift here. There was the believers down in, in uh, Judah in that area, Judea in that area, there was a famine going on, and they were taking up money, a collection to send to those, those believers to help them out. That they would, and the people of Macedonia were, were getting this money together for them that they would receive the gift and take up upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, notice verse 5, and this they did, not as we hoped. Well, Paul hoped that they would give something to help those people, but notice what it says. But this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And unto us by the will of God. See, the key there was this. They first gave themselves to who? The Lord. Lord, my life belongs to you. God will never be in control of your finances until you give your life, first of all, to him. You say, well, pastor, you know, uh, I, I really can't tithe. Yes, you can. If you give Jesus control of your life. If you'll give him control of your life, then you can trust him for your finances. You say, well, pastor, it doesn't make sense. I'm just telling you here. I've learned one thing. And, and how many of you that have learned to tithe have learned that it doesn't make sense? It doesn't make sense how that you can tithe and God can still supply your need. And you know what? He does exceedingly abundantly. You could give an account. And you could, all, many hands were raised tonight. Of that very thing. You say, well, I, I think when, when Tanya and I got married, before I had... I was tithing before we ever got married, but we lived in a, in a place that cost like $175 a month. That was pretty cheap rent. It was an apartment, $175 a month, and it cost $40 a month to buy gas for my car going to, uh, back and forth to school and back and forth to work. Let's see, that's uh, $40 and 175 but real quick with, with 210. 210 very good. I only made $225 a, a, uh, a month. And we tithed first. And God always took care of us. Now, it wasn't that we had steak and potatoes. and we, It's not that we, had, uh, that we had a lobster for dinner. But God says, I shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of all this. God is so good. God is, God is an awesome God. But when we give ourselves first to God, God... I give myself to you. Here's my finances. 
I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give my car to you. I'm going to give the things I've got to you. Number one, it sure relieves a lot of the stress when we give it to God. And then we just say, Lord, it's yours. Remember what Job said? In fact, the verse you quoted, the Lord gave and the Lord what? Hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How awesome it is to be able to say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. It's your responsibility. You do with it whatever you want. It belongs to you. Let him worry about it. He, he is far better to worry than you and I. When we just trust the Lord and keep our, keep our focus on him, then he takes that and he can bless that. Jacob was called back to that place of remembrance. Bethel, am I your Lord, Jacob? Am I your Lord? Will you honor me with your substance as you promised? Perhaps in your mind, the Lord has brought you back to a former time when you made a promise to the Lord. Maybe you promised to live for him. Maybe you promised to obey him. Maybe you promised to sacrifice something for him. You intended, but you got busy. You were living life. Your thoughts went to other things and and that desire to do whatever it was that God called you to do began to grow cold. You know, God hasn't given up on you, on you, dear Christian. Can I tell you? Remember Bethel. Sometimes the Lord, and that's what maybe the Lord is doing tonight, to bring you back to that place of remembrance, to that place, that commitment that you've made to the Lord. I want you to see that Bethel was not only a place of remembrance, but it was a place of repentance. Look back there where we started back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 35, excuse me, um, sorry, not Genesis chapter, what's that? 35, one to eight. Uh, nope, yeah, it, it is Genesis, I was in the book of Exodus, that's the reason why I didn't look right. Genesis 35, that's where I thought we were. Genesis 35, notice what we find here is a place of re Repentance. In verse number two, it says, Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, and, um, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. You know, Bethel, Bethel was, a was a holy place in the mind of Jacob. Remember, it was holy ground. The Lord was here, and I what? I knew it not. There were some changes that were going to have to be made in the life of Jacob and his family before they would be able to worship the Lord. As it says here, Jacob called his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Notice the changes that needed to be made in order to worship the Lord. Put away the strange gods that were among you. Jacob's house had been playing around with the gods back in Laban's place. Remember when, when uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, when she left, she stole one of the images. The Bible uses the word images. But what it is, if you look that word up in the Hebrew, it was a god. She stole one of the gods of Laban, her, her father. Uh, brother, excuse me. No. Uncle, there we go, Uncle Laban, yes. So it's stolen the, the God, one of the gods of Laban. She hid it in her stuff. Why would you do that? Well, because that, that was important to Laban. Remember Laban with all of his group, and they left out, when Jacob and his family left out, and uh, lost all the flocks and everything, when Laban heard about it, uh, he went and went after them, and one of the, the things that he accused them of, you have stolen my what? Gods. You've stolen my gods. Laban was, was in the, the, the idea of, of worship, of, of false idols. And Jacob and his family had lived among the pagan people and adopted their gods. Jacob had compromised and allowed these things to continue. But as he thought of going back to Bethel, that place that was holy, that place where he met with God, he knew that repentance was needed. You know, we can all fall into that trap, can we not? We are in the world, and we can hear about the gods of the world, and uh, if we're not careful, we can make their gods our gods, gods of silver and gold. 
Well, you know what, Pastor? The almighty dollar is so important. Really? That's materialism. That's nothing more than that. How about the humanistic philosophy? You are your own God. I'm my own God, so I can call my own shots. Dear folk, we're not our own God. You could be as it were uh, taking the idea, well, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what you call God. We all serve the same God. That's what the world says. Uh, you can call him Allah, as Islam does. Or you can call him, as the Mormons do, Adam. In, uh, the Brigham, uh, in the, uh, Brigham Young, in the Journal of Discourses, volume 1, page number 50, this is what it said. When our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of the, celest one of the celestial wives, with him. He is our father and our God. And the only God with, with whom we have to do. You say, well, pastor, we all believe in the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. We have a lot of isms, spisms, and spasms out there. There's a lot of people that believe in all sorts of different gods. There's only one true and living God, and that is the God of the Bible. We cannot worship the God of the Bible and the false gods of this world. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, Jesus saying. For either he will hate the one, he will love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. You've got to decide. You're going to follow with riches, and that's what you're going to do? You can't serve riches and God at the same time. Can't do it. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. 1 Corinthians 10.21 talks about partaking of the things that are offered to idols. It says, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot uh, be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. You can't be serving two different gods like that. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah came to all the people and he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words, get off the fence. And the people answered him not a word. Because what they were doing is they were worshiping Baal. Jacob knew that if they were going to worship God, there were some things that had to get right. They had to get right with God in order to worship God. Let me ask you, do you have a conviction about which God to worship and serve? I don't know about you, I've settled that in my heart. There's only one true and living God. Is it the God of self that you're worshiping, or the God of riches, or the God of Islam, or the God, the, the God of Mother Earth, or the God of the Bible? There's only one true and living God, folks. And we must decide where, who we're going to trust. Notice what he goes back and says. If you're going to worship God, he says, first of all, you need to be clean. Go back there in, in verse number 2. And Jacob said to his household, to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you. That was the first thing. You've got to get rid of those, other, those false gods. You can't keep them in, in your house and worship the Lord. You can't keep them as part of your life and worship God. Can't. Can't do it. God's not going to accept that. Second of all, he says, and be clean. That word clean in the Hebrew it means to be clean, to be pure. That idea of purity means physically. We're to be clean pure uh, physically. You see, what, is, what does that mean? Wash, get cleaned up. You say, Pastor, you think to worship God you need to be clean? Well, Jacob understood it. I know this old saying, cleanliness is next to what? Godliness. Well, it's not in the Bible, but the, the Bible says if we're going to worship God, we need to be clean. We ought to be clean. Um, not only ceremonially, but morally. Morally. You say, what do you mean? Well, can I share with you? You can't be shacking up with somebody. And then coming, coming over here and say, oh, I'm going to worship God today. It doesn't work that way. Jacob understood this. Jacob knew, hey, we need to be clean. We need to get, our, get ourselves right. They were to clean up their act, if you would. They had been living in the world, and the wickedness had rubbed off on them like it did on Lot. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. 2 Peter chapter 2. 
You know, as I said a moment ago, we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. You can't live in this world and be around the things of this world and not have the world rub off on you. You can't. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 7, look what it says. And deliver just Lot. Now that word just means righteous. Um, let's go back to verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto them, unto those that after should live ungodly. Those people that lived in, in Sodom and Gomorrah uh, were homosexual in nature. Chapter number 19 of Genesis tells us about that, that God calls it ungodly. And here in this portion of Scripture, as you look at this, the Bible goes on to say, and delivered, God delivered just or righteous lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed, that word vexed means to tear down to a, with, with toil, to afflict, his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what? Being in this world and hearing the wickedness of the world and living amongst people and, and going to school and hearing what they're talking about and, and the video games and the TV programs and the music, you can't live in this world without it affecting your soul. That's the reason why we need to pray the Lord to cleanse us. We need to get those things right. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm spiritual, I can handle it. it. The world won't affect me. You know what, that's a foolish person. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In order to worship the Lord, we must be in, a, in, in spirit and in truth and, and right. The Bible says in John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, we've got to be right. We, we need to be clean morally. God, I want to be right with you tonight. I want to confess my sin. Before you come into the, the house of God, you ought to pray that God would cleanse you. When, you. when you're preparing your heart as you're coming in, as you're spending time with God beforehand, Lord, just please, I, I want you to speak to me. Sometimes the reason why God doesn't speak to our hearts is simple. There's so much junk in the world that we've brushed up against and we've accepted as being, as being right and being acceptable that we don't even see that the holiness of God is so different than where we really are. Hey, get clean. Confess your sin, and God will, get it, will, will speak with us and be with us. But he also said back there, change your garments. Change your garments. Go back there to that portion. Back in 30, 35 in verse number 2. And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods, from among you, and be clean, notice, and change your garments. You say, Pastor, what do you mean, change their garments? Well, this is called a garment. This is called clothes. Adam Clark, in his commentary, said this, Outward cleansing is emblematic of the sanctification of the soul has been in, in use among all true worshipers of God from the beginning of the world. When you're worshiping God, you ought to come in your clean clothes. So, Pastor, I think I'm just going to come in my dirty old coveralls. I'm going to come in my ripped and my torn stuff. And the, and the, and the, the Folks, can I tell you something? We ought to come to the house of God in the best that we have as being clean. It, it, it should be clean. It's a, it's a sad thing, and it's a blight on our Christian testimony when we come to the house of God looking like, a, looking like a beggar, if we're not a beggar, well, we're just too lazy to, to clean up and to look the best for our God. Jacob understood that. He says, guys, change your clothes. You ought to change your clothes. You ought to come dressed to the house of God. Barnes, in his commentary, says this. He says, talking about this portion of Scripture, he says, change your garments Put on your best attire, befitting the holy occasion. Hey, we're coming to meet with God. Hey, you're not coming just to meet with Pastor Walker. We come to the house of God to meet with God. And I think what's happened is this. We just think that coming together and to worship God in his house is, is really just a social club. And we just come, like we'd go to the baseball game or the football game. No, no, folks. We come to worship 
a holy God. This is holy ground. If God were standing right here, he's telling you right now, and we're going to see it in another portion of Scripture, we ought to come with our best. Consider what God said in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 11, when God said he was going to come down and meet with the children of Israel, a time to worship. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. The principle here, we ought to be clean inwardly and outwardly when we come to worship the Lord. So, Pastor, I don't think I have to. Well, you have a problem with the Scripture. I'm just sharing with you what God said. Well, I think that I should be able to do whatever I want. Okay. The bottom line issue is, is that your pride that's being confronted against a God who says, this is how I want you to come and present yourself to me. I think we need to stop and look at this. Because God desires for us. He's bringing Jacob back to Bethel, a place of remembrance, but it's a place of repentance. We've got to get some things right with God. How are we when we come to worship the Lord? Are we clean in our heart from sin? Are we clean outwardly? There were some definite things which needed to be changed, and they needed to repent. Notice the third thing very quickly. Bethel was a place of renewal. Go back to that portion of Scripture. Notice the response, if you would, of the family of Jacob. It says, And they gave unto Jacob, verse 4, They gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were, which were in their hand. All the, all the strange gods, plural. Not just one, many. They gave them to Jacob. And all their earrings which were in their ears. Can I share with you? It wasn't just the ladies. It wasn't just decorative. May I share with you? Today, you know, we've got guys wearing earrings and people say, well, it's just the way I am. I like my earrings. May I share with you that J Jacob says, hey, folks, you need, we need to get rid of all that stuff that's not pleasing to God. We think about earrings. Barnes in his commentary, uh, excuse me, uh, dealing with strange gods, they gave them. It was a matter of choice. They were willing to give those up. They gave them all the earrings. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown uh, made the following comment on this idea of earrings. Earrings of various forms, sizes, and materials are universally worn in the East and then, uh, as now, connected with incantations and idolatry. Adam Clark said this, earrings were certainly worn as amulets. In other words, something like a, like a special thing to, and a charm. And he goes on to say, first consecrated to some god or formed, uh, or, uh, formed under some celest uh, uh, constellation on which magical characters and images were drawn. Boy, you know what? This is going to keep me from evil. That's what these earrings were... We're, we're going we're gonna to pray to this God that this God would take care of us, and we're going to wear these earrings that he would take care of us. It's not necessarily worn around the neck. It was worn in the ear. Pastor, I can, I can wear my earrings. You know, let the world mark you. We're going to be like the world, or we're going to be like Jesus Christ. We're going to follow the things. And Jacob understood, hey, this thing of worship Hey, let's, let's put aside the worldly stuff so that we can come and we can worship our God. They were willing to give up their old life to walk in the new life. You know, if we're going to walk with God, we must be willing to, go, to give up the old life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 talks about put off the old man and put on the new man. If I'm going to worship God, if I'm going to live the way God wants, I need to put off the old man. The Bible says, which is corrupt. And put on the new man, which is created in righteousness. What did, what did Jacob do with all the idols? The Bible says here, 
They gave, him all, they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hands and all their earrings, which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Shechem. You say, well, pastor, why didn't he just give them to somebody else? I've heard people say, well, you know, pastor, uh, God has convicted me about my worldly music, and my rock music and my rap music and all that type of stuff, and so God's convicted me, so I've given my music to my friend. Excuse me, if that music was bad for you, can I tell you something? It's wrong for your friend. Amen. Why would you give some, some if, if you were taking poison, and you say, well, you know what? I've been convicted of taking poison because it's not good for me. Oh, wait a minute. I'll give it to my friend because my friend can benefit. Really? Where is your common sense? If it's wrong for you, can I tell you, if it's sin, it's sin. And we need to lay it aside. You know what the people, what the children of Israel did? They followed the leadership of Jacob, their father. Jacob had been leading his family, but he wasn't going the right direction, so he decided it's time to change. Look at the next verse very quickly. And they journeyed, and, they ter and the terror of God was upon the cities and were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. We remember, I talked about Simeon and Levi slaying all the you know, slaying all those people. They didn't follow after him. God took care of them. So Jacob came to the land of Luz, which is the land of Canaan, which is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Hey, the family did exactly what, what Jacob had said for them to do. Get rid of the gods. Get rid of all this stuff. Hey, let's get clean. Let's do this. He built the altar there, El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Let me ask you tonight, do you need to return to Bethel? A place of surrender to the Lord? A place of remembrance? Hey, God, you know what I do remember? I told you that. I think I need to get back and do what, you, what I told you to do. Are there areas that you need to repent of in order to restore sweet fellowship with you? that you once had with the Lord? A few years ago, Governor Neff of the state of Texas received an invitation to speak at one of the penitentiaries in the state, and he spoke up to the assembled prisoners, and afterward he told the prisoner, he said, hey, I'll be here, you can come and talk to me, and we'll talk as long as you want. You can share with me what's on your mind, what you're thinking about, and what you tell me is going to be done in confidence. And so the men began to come one at a time, and one after another told him the story about how they had been unjustly sentenced and uh, they were innocent and they, they wished to get out. Finally, there came a man. And he said, you know, Governor, he says, I want you to know that what they convicted me of, they were right. But I've been here a number of years and I believe I paid my debt to society. And if I were to get out, if I were to be released, I'd be able to live an upright life and show myself worthy of your mercy. Of all the men that he heard that day, that last one is the one that he pardoned. You know, he was, had a repentant heart. He wasn't, well, I'm going to get out and I'm going to be as worse than I was. No, I'm going to be a different person. Bethel, place coming back to a that place of repentance. Bethel, do we need to go to have a renewal of our life? To remember the blessing of God and to let God work in us? To have a fresh start? Hey, it can happen. It can happen here tonight. I pray that God speak, has spoken to your heart tonight about going back to Bethel. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray as we've considered thy word this evening about going back Jacob going back to Bethel, what a difference. Thinking about the holiness of God and Lord remembering the promises. He's going to be my, you're going to be my God. I told you you would be and now you are. I'm going to live for you. It's a place of repentance. Had to get rid of some stuff out of, out of his life and the life of his family. Father, I pray that as we think about coming back to the place where we first committed our life to you. Or maybe there's some things that we need to surrender to you. There's some places in our life we need to get right in our life. Father, there's some, maybe there's a place of, of renewal, a fresh start. 
to build that altar once again and say, God, here's a place of my, my worship for you. And Lord, you are my God, and I love you. And I want you to take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I pray tonight that God has, has spoken to each of our hearts. Bethel was a good place. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would use this place as a place to remember our walk with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you tonight, are there some things in your life that you need to get right with God? Have you made some promises to God and you haven't kept them? Why not do it tonight? Why not start once again? Do you need a fresh start? Tonight can be that fresh start for you. I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to stand. The instrument's going to begin to play. Maybe God is speaking to your heart tonight about one of these things. God's speaking to you tonight. Won't you come as the instrument plays tonight? God's speaking to you. Don't tell God 